Thank you, praise team. Good to see you this morning. Jesus, there is power in that name. In fact, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I, I pray that you do that today, that you affirm Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Glad that you're here. Welcome to the second service. We, we've already had a service this morning. It, it was really good, but you know, I just got a feeling that this one's going to be better. Don't, don't tell those nine o'clock people I said that, all right? But I really think it is. God is here and he's going to speak to your hearts. Uh, over the last several weeks, I've been preaching out of the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at some of the parables that Jesus told. A parable is just an earthly story that's got a heavenly meaning to it. And Jesus told a lot of parables. For the last four weeks, we've been camped out in Luke chapter 15. Jesus told three parables in Luke chapter 15, and they're really all about the same thing. Uh, the first two parables have to do with a sheep that got lost. There were a hundred sheep that the shepherd was looking after. He counted them one night, and one was missing, and so he left the ninety and nine with the under shepherd, and he went out and he searched until he found the one lost sheep. The second parable has to do with a lady who had a headband of 10 silver coins, and she lost one of those coins. And the Bible says, Jesus said in the parable, that she literally turned her house upside down looking for that lost coin. And when she found it, there was a celebration. So Jesus told us that the most distinguishing characteristic of God the Father is this. He looks for those who are lost. And whether you're one out of 100 or one out of 10, if you are lost and away from him, God is looking for you. And then we have the third parable, and that is the story about a father who has two sons. One day the younger son came to the father and said, Daddy, give me my share of the inheritance. And so the father gave him his share of the inheritance, and uh, this, this little kid didn't even let that money start smoking in his pockets, man. It didn't have a chance to burn a hole in his pocket. He hopped on his Camelac, which was an old Harley Davidson, and, uh, and he headed to the far country. And the Bible says that in a short amount of time, he wasted all of that money on wild living. And when it was all gone, he had nothing left. He had no friends. I mean, his friends were fair-weathered friends. When he had money, they were there. But when all his money was gone, all his buddies left him, and he had nothing. He joined himself to a citizen of that far country. And the citizen gave him the job of feeding the swine. And so here is this Hebrew boy out on the back 40s feeding the swine of this pagan man. And the Bible said he would have gladly filled his belly with the pods that the swine were eating because no one gave him anything. I mean, I tell you, he hit rock bottom. But that was a good thing because it made him come to his senses. And the Bible said when he came to himself, he realized that the hired servants back at his father's house had a better quality of life than he had with the swine. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to tell Daddy, Daddy, I'm sorry, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Would you please take me back as a hired hand? And as he was approaching the house, his father saw him coming. And he ran out to meet him. He hugged him. He filled his face with kisses. And even before the wayward son was able to give his memorized speech, 
the father poured gifts of festivity on him. He put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He even killed the fatted calf and he threw this big party. He said, my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Let's celebrate. And they had a party. Everybody was happy. Almost. All right. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 15. I want to start reading in verse number 25. Here's what it said. Now his older son, the father's older son. Remember how many boys there were? Two. The older son was out in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. And he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and asked him, What's going on inside here? What, what does all this mean? And he said to him, Your brother has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed that fatted calf. But this older brother was angry, and he wouldn't even go in. Therefore, get this, the father came out. He came out to where the older brother was outside of the celebration, and he pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment, not a single time. And yet, you never even gave me a young goat that I might have a party with my buddies. Hmm. But as soon as this son of yours came home, the one who devoured your livelihood with harlots, what'd you do, daddy? <laughs> you killed the fatty calf. And he said to him, son... You're always with me, and everything that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. I want you to make a mental note. The father said that twice. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak this precious word into our hearts this morning. And as I try to speak it on the outside, Lord, would you please speak it into our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the end of this parable is by no means an appendix or an afterthought. In fact, many Bible scholars believe this was the very reason Jesus spoke the parable in the first place, because it underscores the truth that you can be at home and yet your heart can be far away from the Father. Lorraine Hansberry's play, A Raisin in the Sun, is a story about this family who lived on the south side of Chicago back in the late 1950s. In fact, I think the play was written in like 1959. In 1961, they turned it into a movie, all right? It was an old black and white movie, and, and I'll tell you this in here in a second. The, the Sun was played by Sidney Poitier. If you've never seen this movie, A Raisin in the Sun, you need to go home this afternoon and watch it. The father of the family is dead, but he left a, 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 something to the family. He bequeathed a life insurance policy that was payable for $10,000. And with that $10,000, the mother wished to make her modest dream come true. And what was her dream? Her dream was to buy a small house in a, in a better neighborhood where she could have a window box with flowers in it. 
But again, there was a son in the family, and in the movie it was played by Sidney Portier. And this son, along with a friend, wanted the money to go into business. And so he pleaded with his mother. He said, Mama, please give me the money so that I can go into business with my friend. It will be a good thing. And the mother was very hesitant. And so the, the son pulled out the big guns, all the ammunition that he could muster against her. And he said, Mama, how can you deny me? I've never been given a chance. I've never been given a break. So Mama, please give me the money. And with reservation, she finally gave the money to her son. Big mistake, <laughs> because disaster fell. The, the friend skipped town and, and left with the money. And, and so the son came back to the apartment, small two-bedroom apartment. They didn't even have a bathroom in that apartment. They had to use the one down the hall. And there living with his wife and their baby, with their mama, he also had a sister. And his sister's name was Benitha. And when he came back into that apartment after having lost the mother, let me tell you, Benitha erupted with volcanic fury against her brother. She could not believe that he lost the family's money. And so she belittled him and demeaned him until finally Mama, who had lost more than anybody, stepped in and had a little conversation with Benitha. I've got the video clip of the movie in 1961. Listen to what Mama said to Benita. Me and your daddy, but I thought I taught you something else too. I thought I taught you to love him. Love him? There's nothing left to love. There's always something left to love. Have you cried for that boy today? Now don't leave for yourself and for the family because we lost the money. I mean for him and what he's gone through. And God help him. What it's done to God him. God help him what it's done to him. Child, when do you think is the time to love somebody the most? When he's done good and made things easy for everybody. Elder brother, out there in the field, did you hear what mama said to Benitha? You measure him right, child. You measure him right. You take into account the hills and the valleys he's done been through to get to where he is now. Hey, you tell me, when is it right to love somebody? Well, I can tell you this, the elder brother in our story never understood that or was able to answer that question. That's why he stayed outside at the celebration when his brother came home. You see, this is the story about two sons. And both of these sons are away from the father. 
The younger one took the money and ran. He went to the far country. Physically, he was away from his father. The older brother never left the house. But I'm here to tell you, he was as far away from the father as his brother. You know what that tells me? That tells me that we can be right here in the church and away from the father. Woo, preacher. Did you know that you can be in a swimming pool and not be swimming? You can be at a university and not be a student. And I'm here to tell you, you can be in the church and away from the Father. Well, how do you know if you're in the church and away from the Father? Well, what is your attitude towards the Father's feast, towards His celebration? In other words, when someone who is lost comes to the Father, God wants to celebrate. Yet the person who is at home yet away from the Father does not participate in that celebration. When we feel superior to those who are lost, we reveal our misunderstanding of who God is and what His church is all about. Spiritual superiority may not be as heinous a sin as gross sexuality, but it is more perilous because the grossly carnal person knows they are away from God. The self-righteous person may be further away from God and just not know it. Come with me and stand outside of this celebration hall with the older brother and understand the centered truth of the last act of this three-act drama. And it is this. We, we understand spiritual home when our heart celebrates with the Father when someone who is lost comes home. Three things I want you to see in this passage. Number one, coming home calls for celebration. Coming home calls for celebration. Before there were cars and planes and factories and, and all the modern things that we have in our technological society of today, it was deathly quiet in the sheep fields of the Holy Land. In fact, the only thing you could hear out there was the occasional bleeding of sheep as it interrupted the canopy of silence. That's why the older brother snapped his head and jerked his body around when he heard music and dancing and laughter coming from the family house. And so he pulled himself up and he trudged homeward. When he got there, he asked one of the servants, hey, what's going on inside there? And the servant said, well, don't you know, your brother has come home. And your daddy was so happy that he killed the fatted calf. Let me tell you, they were having a celebration. This was a special occasion in the father's home. In fact, the father said in verse 32, we had to celebrate. There were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. My wayward boy came home, and you bet I'm going to celebrate. In fact, this story is about the necessity of celebration when someone who is apart from the father comes back home. In our story, the father spared no expense. He, he hired a symphony, or at least a band, right? and choreographed dancing for a once-in-a-lifetime event. Did you know that our heavenly father does the same thing when someone who is away from him comes back home? 
There is celebration in heaven. Now, you misunderstand home when there is a reaction of rejection in your spirit toward the Father's celebration. Remember those kid books, those little kid books uh, that ask the question, what's wrong in this picture? Remember those? And you'd look at the picture and study it, and, and sure enough, there'd be something out of place or something upside down or something there that didn't belong there. Let me tell you, when I read through this story, it makes me ask myself the question, what's wrong here? What's wrong with this picture? Because it doesn't make sense. Something is out of sorts here. Something is wrong. For example, why was this older brother left out in the field? I mean, when his younger brother came home, why didn't somebody run out there and get him? Why wasn't a servant sent out to get him? Why didn't he race back home to see what all the commotion was about? Well, I'll tell you why. There was a problem there. That was a problem between him and his father. The first words out of his mouth toward his father were contemptuous. He said, what's going on in there? And I'm here to tell you, if he had been right with his father, he would have instinctively gone in and celebrated because his bubba came home. If his heart would have been right with the father, here's what he would have said. Are you kidding me? You mean to tell me my little brother came back? Oh, how happy I am for dad. Man, I know that it has broken his heart, and he's been looking every day for that wayward son to come. I am so happy here. And that rascal of a brother of mine, I mean, I'm telling you, isn't he a pistol? I mean, you know, he does some of the crazy harebrained things that he does, but everybody loves him. He really is a good kid at heart. Is he really home? I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for my dad. You know what, church, even if we are at home in the church, even if we are here physically, we can still be far away from the Father. How so, pastor? Well, here's the test. If you are in the church, do you celebrate when lostness becomes foundness? When someone who is apart comes back home? You see, not everybody here at Kavanaugh who gets right with the Lord or not everybody here at Kavanaugh who comes into this building looks like and dresses like and acts like all the rest of the most of us. And you can give your heart this test about whether you are at home or apart from the Father. Is there a sense of joy in your heart when someone who is lost comes home, or is there a sense of cynicism and superiority and of standing back and saying, hmm, I wonder what they're doing at our church. Woe is me. That's kind of a downer for me to say that, but let me tell you, that is the beginning of the end for churches. When they have that attitude. Because you know, that's not what God's about. That's not what his church is about. This is not a sanctuary for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And even though you come here to grow in your faith. And, and you're put to work for the kingdom of God. Understand it's all about winning people to Jesus. It's, it's about taking people who are outside of the family. And bringing them inside to the family. Number two, misunderstanding home 
reveals our alienation from God. When you look at a church, our church, any church, there are really four groups of people or four characters that you find in and around the church. Let me describe these people to you in my thinking, all right? First of all, you got outside outsiders. Outside outsiders. Who are these people? Well, you could call them the pagan pool. These are unsaved people. They're not in the church. They don't physically come into this building. You know why? Because they don't want to. They don't have a relationship with God. They don't fear God. They don't love God. They love the world, and so they're living out in the world. They don't care what we're doing in here. They don't want a part of it. So you can't get them in here for hardly anything. I told the first service, if, if it was hailing outside and they were walking out in the hell, they wouldn't even come in here for sanctuary. They're outside outsiders. There's a second group of people I call these outside insiders. This is the prodigal son group. These are people who at one time were inside the family of faith, but you know what? Right now they're not. They're outside, okay? They were once a part of the family, but now they've gone outside of the family. And I'm I'm here to tell you, I've been here 22 years. I I am seeing people, I'm seeing their photos, their images in my mind, people that have been in this church, under my ministry these last 22 years, who were active and apart, who never missed a lick. They were here every service, but something happened in their life, and now they're not here. And not only do they not come to Kavanaugh, they don't go to church anywhere. That breaks my heart. They're outside insiders. There's a third group. Are you, are you liking these groups? There's a third group I call these inside outsiders flipped. There are people who are here. I mean, are you here? Raise your hand if you're here. Well, some of you, come on, come on. I'm toying with you. Raise your hand if you're here. These people are here physically, but you know what? They're not here spiritually. They're not here in their heart. Physically, they come to the house of God, but their heart is far away from God. They're inside the building yet their heart is far away. The fourth group, they're they're inside insiders, okay? They're inside the church. They're inside the family. They're they're at fellowship with the Father. And let me tell you, this is the group to be in, inside insiders. Now, in this story, the older brother is the poster child for an inside outsider. He is close to the Father. He never left home like his younger brother, but his heart is far away far away. Would you like to take a test for being an inside outsider? (laughs) Say yes. Do do your head like this. I told the first group that that reminds me of when I was a boy growing up in Midland, Texas. Half the people in Midland had these chihuahua dogs in their back back dash of their their car and their heads bobbed around. Y'all know what I'm, have y'all ever seen those before? I wish they'd come back with them, man. I'd, I'd like to have one in my 1960 Chevrolet truck. Just dug this. So do your head like that. You want to take the test of being an inside-outsider because it's presented in our passage of Scripture. There are eight characteristics that are symbolic of being an inside-outsider. I'm going to pair them together in, in pairs of two. First of all, anger and alienation reveal your apartness from God. Look at verse 28. But he was angry... 
and would not go in, describing the older brother. He was angry and would not go into the celebration. The older brother's spirit falls into a rage, and he becomes furious at how good the father was to this rebellious boy who had been away. It expresses itself in the language of alienation. He wouldn't even walk in the door. In fact, he never once uses the words father or brother to describe his family because he had no kinship with them. Even though he was at home, he was far away and he was angry. Here's the test. Are you angry with God because he's been so good to them? To those who have been away, God has poured out forgiveness and love on them, and you're angry. And and there is a sense of alienation inside of you that makes you want to stand back and away from God when he celebrates with someone who was lost who came home. That can be dangerous both spiritually and physically. Dr. Redford Williams of the Duke Medical University through his research said, angry, cynical people are five times more likely to die before the age of 50 than those who are not. Oh boy. And it's true. It's physically and spiritually lethal to be angry and alienated. Yet that's exactly where this older brother was. Numbers three and four. Slavishness and superiority. Reveal apartness from the Father. Look at verse 29. He said, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never even gave me a kid, a young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. Here's the time card punching, calendar watching, tipped, forked spirit of mustness. It's a sad picture because this boy has no joy in service to his father. There is no joy. There's no happiness at home. It's bondage. It's servitude. Working for his father is a sweatshop, and he hates it. Let me just just give you a little warning The devil is trying to get you to swallow that poisonous pill as well when it comes to the church. You know why we serve the Lord? You know why we do what we do? It's it's out of the joy of knowing Jesus. It's out of the joy of serving him. But the devil wants to turn that joy into servitude and slavishness and a bondage. And that's what the elder brother felt. Superiority expresses itself in verse 29. He said, I never transgressed your commandment not one time. Now, other than that being an outright lie, (laughs) I think it, it shows the superiority complex that misses the father altogether. Numbers five and six, ingratitude and isolation reveal our apartness from the father. He said in verse 29, you never gave me a young goat. In fact, he accuses his father of never giving him the minimum when in fact his father had given him everything. In fact, the father says that. Later he says, son, everything that I have is yours. So here's the mark of the older brother. When God rains down on you all the good things he's given to you, 
And let me, let me just tell you, if, if you forgot, God has blessed you. And after he has given you all that he's given you, do you look up at him and point your finger and say, why haven't you given me this? Or why haven't you given me that? I, I tell you, it's a failure of gratitude. He, he reveals distance of his heart from the Father in the isolating statement that he wanted to celebrate with his friends. Why haven't you given me a young goat so that I, that I can party down with my buddies? Not a word is said about celebrating with the Father because he wants to get away from the Father. He, he was really as far away from the Father as his younger brother in the far country. Number seven and eight, contempt and comparison show distance from the Father. Verse 30, but as soon as this son of yours came home, the one who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Do you get this? Here is a word of withering contempt. He compares his own self-righteousness with his brother's whoremongering. <laughs> These attitudes are diagnostic of distance from the divine. It tells us that you don't have to go to the far country to be lost. You can be lost right here in the church. You can be lost close to home. On August the 28th at 5.30 p.m., Todd Murphy, age 8, and his best buddy, Jeremy Ratliff, age 8, were playing outside of, of Todd's home. His mother, Debbie, called them in for dinner, but they didn't respond. She started searching around the house and couldn't find them anywhere. In a few minutes, she called Jeremy's father, who was a highway patrolman. Not long after that, he turned in a missing persons report. And within 30 minutes, there was a helicopter out looking for these two boys. The next afternoon on, on their front lawn, a, a, a news crew came and they interviewed these parents. And their parents pleaded over the news, if you have taken our boys, please bring them back home. Well, they packed up all the cameras, the news crew got in their helicopter, and they flew off. And as soon as they lifted off the ground, here came these two boys out of the woods some 50 yards from the house. They had drifted off into the woods and become disoriented and gotten lost and had spent the night out in the woods. Never, not more than one time, were they a mile away from home. <laughs> they were lost right at their house. Todd's dad said, I'm more happy today than when that boy was born <laughs> because somebody lost was found. You know what that reminds me? It reminds me of, of a story that happened here at Kavanaugh Church several years ago. It's when Dave and Christy were here and their, their, their boy, Anakin, was just a little bitty kid. Y'all remember Anakin? Ed, how old is Anakin now? He's 20. He'll be 20 in November. So I don't know. This, this was 16 years ago, maybe, 17 years ago. It was on a Sunday afternoon. Dave and Christy had gone over Ed and Diane's house for, for lunch, and then everybody kind of goofed around and played, and they were getting ready to come back to church, and they couldn't find Anakin anywhere. They searched high and low, inside, outside. They couldn't find Anakin. They called the church and said, pray, we can't find Anakin. We, we think he's wandered off. A little bit later, they found him. He, he was in the, the dining room. The chairs had been pulled up underneath the table, and he was stretched out on two chairs asleep. <laughs> he was lost right at home. Understanding home invites restoration. 
Here's what I want you to hear, church. God, God wants you at his table feasting with him. God wants everybody at his table in the celebration. And, and this story tells us of the father's persistence calling us to restoration. Verse 28 But he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore the father came out to him and he pleaded with him. See this, see this picture. When the younger brother came home, what what did the father do? He ran. Old men didn't run. So cutting across the cultural grain, he ran out to his son and embraced him. He went to where the boy was. And now this older son wouldn't go into the celebration. So what happened? The father came out to where he was. I want you to know God is right here. He's right here. He's waiting for you. God God is persistent. He wants you to come home. Number two, the father's presence calls us to restoration. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you're always with me. Church, you need to understand those who do not wander away morally from God, their, their heart just becomes cold and insensitive. And maybe you're, you're here today and you're not nearly as close to the Father as you used to be. I want you to understand God is here. And He's just a prayer away. All you've got to do is call out on His name. And that brings us to this last thing. The Father's provision calls for restoration. Verse 31, he said, all that I have is yours. And you need to hear that. God is saying to you, all that I have is yours. Come and celebrate with me. Everything I have is yours. Salvation, it's yours. Freedom from sin, it's yours. A life of sanctification, it's yours. The Holy Spirit, I'll give him to you. The church, you are a part of it. A life that lasts forever. You can join in that with me. Heaven, it's yours. He just wants you to come home. You know, there's probably two or three groups of people here today. Some of you are here and you've never been saved. I'm inviting you today to come to Jesus. He'll change your life. He'll give you life worth living. And he'll give you a home in heaven. Some of you are here today and you're away from the Father. Your heart's not right with Him. He wants you to come home. And and, and with all the passion that I can muster in my spirit and my soul, I'm pleading with you on His behalf. Come to Jesus today. There will be no word of rebuke. No word of scorning. He's not going to say, I told you so. You know what He's going to do? He's going to embrace you. And he's going to love you. He wants you to come home to him. So would you come? Come to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak.